beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you remember the different things that have happened in your life? And some people remember by writing a journal daily or perhaps a few times a week. They jot down some notes about what's happening in their life, their feelings, etc. Yet writing a journal requires time and effort. And most of us don't do that. So how do we remember the more significant things that have happened in the past year? Many of us take photos when we get together with family or friends or celebrate special events or when we're doing fun stuff. If we want to know or share what's happened in our lives, we scroll through photos on our phones. For many years, when our family lived overseas, We regularly made family videos to send back to our parents in Canada. As family, we still have a bunch of those videos. From time to time, our kids will want to watch them. Dad gets dissed for his corny way of recording the videos. Different kids will get mocked for what they wore or how they looked or for the dumb things that they did. But as family, we keep going back to those videos. They remind us of family life from an earlier time. They give us opportunity to reminisce about the past. It gives opportunity to remember and reflect. Today in our text, we have something similar. We have a list of the stages of the journey of the Israelites from the time they departed from Egypt to the present day. Our text contains 42 place names where the Israelites camped on their way to the Promised Land. Reading through this chapter is rather boring and mind-numbing. We have this long list of place names that are hard to pronounce. Why is this chapter in the Bible? Could our pastor have skipped this chapter and gone on to something more relevant? Well, to be honest, beloved, I was tempted to skip Numbers 33. But in verse 2, we read, At the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages in their journey. God saw fit to include this chapter in his holy and divine word. And we confess that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God had a specific purpose for including our text in the book of Numbers. And so we're going to do our best to discern that purpose and to learn how this travel log is relevant for our lives. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. The Lord commands Moses to recount Israel's journey from Egypt to the promised land. We'll see how the Lord provides lessons from their travels and gives encouragement for their conquest. 
Our text begins with a summary statement. These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out from the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Our text records a travel log of their journey from Egypt all the way to the plains of Moab across from Jericho. Our text ends with instructions about how Israel was to cross over the Jordan into Canaan and drive out the inhabitants of the land that they may take possession of their promised inheritance. Scholars have noted that this itinerary itinerary of their journey has a strong resemblance to records of military campaigns we have from that time in the ancient Near East. When our text states that Israel went out by their companies, the word for companies is hosts. As indicated with the first census at the beginning of the book, Israel was an army on the march with its commander, the Lord of hosts, leading the way. The Lord recounts where they've come from to give them encouragement for the upcoming conquest of the land. There's a total of 42 places mentioned in our text where Israel camped on the way from Egypt to Canaan. We need to recognize that this is not an exhaustive list. There are places mentioned in Exodus and Numbers that are not included on the travel log recorded in our text. So why are the names of these camping spots recorded? Is there anything special about this list? What can we learn from it? This morning, we're going to break down this list into three groups of place names. We learn something particular from each group of names. The first group of place names recalls the Lord's faithfulness to his people. These are names of places where specific things happened. Our travelogue begins by stating that the Israelites set out from Ramesses. It was a city in Egypt. Our text notes that God's people began their journey on the day after the Passover. The Passover was the feast where the Israelites slaughtered a lamb and put its blood on the doorposts of their houses, where they ate unleavened bread in expectation that they would soon be leaving. At that first Passover, the angel of death passed through the land, killing the firstborn of both people and animals in every home that did not have blood on the doorposts of their house. Our text notes that the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. With his final plague, the Lord broke down Pharaoh's resistance, so that this group of former slaves was free to go on their way. God ravished the Egyptians and their gods. The mention of Ramesses was a beautiful reminder of God's powerful work in setting his people free from slavery in Egypt. Later we read of Israel camping in front of Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea. It is at Pihahiroth that Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and army overtook the Israelites. Israel was trapped with the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's armies behind them. 
And yet the Lord came to their aid. He caused an east wind to blow and make a pathway through the sea on dry ground. The Lord led his people through the sea. And when Pharaoh and his armies followed them, the Lord caused the walls of water to crash down on them, and he drowned them. Thus, Piharahiroth was a reminder of how God saved his people from being re-enslaved by Pharaoh and his army. Parents would tell their children, this is where the Lord cast Pharaoh's chariots and horses into the sea. It was a name associated with God's dramatic rescue of his covenant people. Our text mentions Elam, a place where the Israelites found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Traveling through a dry and dusty land, this oasis would have evoked fond memories among some of the older Israelites encamped on the plains of Moab. Our text also mentions Rephidim, the place where the Amalekites came and fought with Israel. There's a juicy story that the Israelite parents could tell their children about that occasion. While Joshua and the Israelite army fought, Moses stood on the top of a hill with the staff of God in his hand. Every time Moses kept his staff up high, the Israelites would prevail. But when he got tired and lowered his hand, the Amalekites prevailed. Aaron and Hur helped Moses hold up his hands, with the result that the Lord granted Israel victory over the Amalekites. Moses built an altar there, and he called it, The Lord is my banner. There are a few more names on the list which are memorable because specific events happened there. But the general lesson we learn from this first group of place names is that they display the Lord's faithfulness to his people. The Lord led his people out of slavery in Egypt. He brought them through an inhospitable desert. He protected them from their enemies on the way. The Lord was present with his people with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Recounting of the names of various places where they stayed along the way was a reminder of how God had displayed his goodness to his people time and again. How often do you go on a trip through memory's lane, beloved? Do you ever take out old photo albums to remind you of yesteryear? Striking to notice how young you all looked back then. Think back to some of the more significant days of your life. It's good to remember God's rich blessings in family life. To think about your graduation, your profession of faith, your engagement, your marriage, the birth of children, anniversaries, etc. Can you see the Lord's hand at work in your life? Do you see his goodness towards you? Have you experienced his faithfulness in walking with you through so many different experiences in life? Sometimes we need to stop and reflect on the past 
to gain an appreciation for God's steadfast love and faithfulness. There's a second group of place names mentioned in our text. A bunch of places well known in Israel's history because there are places where the people murmured and complained against the Lord. Our text mentions Marah. It's a place where the Israelites could not drink the water because it was bitter. And where they grumbled against Moses. Moses cried out to the Lord and he showed him a log and Moses threw it into the water. And it became sweet. Our text mentions the wilderness of sin. There the people grumbled saying, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. In response, the Lord began to provide manna from heaven each day for 40 years. During their desert sojourn, the Lord fed his people with bread from heaven. Rephidim is a place where the Israelites complained about a lack of water. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? The Lord commanded Moses to strike the rock so that water gushed out of it. The next place where the Israelites camped was in the wilderness of Sinai. It's there that the Lord spoke to them from the top of the mountain, giving them his law. (coughs) It's there that the people rebelled by making and worshipping the golden calf. Our text also mentions Kibroth Hatava, where the people craved meat and where they remember the cucumbers, melons, leek, onions, and garlic they ate in Egypt. They despised the manna that the Lord provided. There was weeping throughout the camp because the people were feeling sorry for themselves. On that occasion, the Lord caused a wind to spring up He brought quail from the sea. He let them fall all around the camp. Though he provided meat for his people, the Lord also sent a plague upon them to punish them for their grumbling against him. Again, there are more names on the list of places where Israel camped that are memorable because there are places where the Israelites grumbled, where they rebelled against the Lord. But reading through our text... You wouldn't know that any of these things had happened. While the itinerary gives specific reminders of the Lord's faithfulness, it passes over Israel's unfaithfulness in complete silence. It mentions the place names, but not the spiritual rebellions that happened in these places along the way. Beloved, it is marvelous how Israel's sins are passed over in utter silence. It reveals something wonderful about our God. God does not excuse sin and rebellion against him. He deals with it. He judges it. But after he has dealt with sin... He pardons it, and he forgets it. 
It is, as the Lord declared through his prophet Jeremiah many centuries later, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. That's exactly what we see happening in our text. When we watch old videos or go through old photos, we're not only reminded of good times, but also of sad times and of difficult times. We can have really mixed feelings about that. Often we'd rather not go there. We'd prefer to leave those pictures or those videos in a box gathering dust. There's negative places and times we'd rather not revisit. If we reflect on our walk with God throughout the years, we're reminded of our sins. We don't like to think of when we sinned against God in some kind of shameful way or the occasions when we succumbed to temptation. But it's precisely those occasions that drive home the message about the kind of God we serve. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. When we've confessed and repented of our sins, God forgives. He no more remembers them against us. He wipes the slate clean. He removes our sins as far as east from west extends. What is it that matters to God? It's not that we were once foul sinners. It's not that we offended and grieved him with our sins. What matters to God is that we are in Christ. That we have sought and found forgiveness in his blood and renewal by his spirit. What matters to God is that we are washed, justified, and sanctified people. Not in and of ourselves, but through the grace of Jesus Christ. There's a third group of place names in our text. These places make up the bulk of the places where the Israelites camped on their journey from Egypt to Canaan. Some of them are mentioned in the Bible elsewhere. Many of them are not. Scholars will say that we don't even know where most of these places were today. What's significant about these places is that we know nothing about them. Perhaps for the Israelites, some of these places had meaning. Perhaps some of them had children born in one of these camps or experienced another significant life event there. But the truth is that we know nothing about the majority of places mentioned in our text. The inclusion of these places is significant. It's a reminder that life is filled with more than just high points and low points. Most of life carries on in an ordinary way. Many days are reasonably uneventful. There wasn't a birthday or an anniversary 
There was no major disaster or tragedy. Many days are fairly routine, where we just do the things that we always do. Taking care of our children, doing the laundry, going to school, or doing our work. We think about much of the past. It's just a blur. Yet, beloved, this underscores the faithfulness of our God. Day by day, we live under God's providential care. And often we don't even notice. We take for granted God's good gifts. God provides employment and sufficient work. We don't notice. We don't pay much attention until there's talk of layoffs or our job security is threatened. God grants us health and strength. We don't pay much attention until we're not feeling well or when the doctor sends us for some further tests. We drive thousands of kilometers a year without thinking much about God's care for us on the roads. Only an accident or a close call reminds us of how God watches over us. The many normal days that we experience in life are a testimony of God's goodness and his love for us. In our first point, we've seen that our text provides lessons from Israel's travels. In our second point, we'll see how the Lord gives encouragement for their conquest. It is worth noting that there are exactly 42 places mentioned in our text where the Israelites camped on their way from Egypt to Canaan. This list of stages in their journey is neither is not concise and includes many places that seem to have little significance. But the list is also not exhaustive. There are campsites listed in other parts of the Bible about Israel's wilderness wanderings that are not mentioned here. So why mention 42 campsites? Well, it appears that this number has some significance. 42 represents six sets of seven. Seven is a number of fullness in the Bible. Having endured six complete periods of wandering... Israel now stands on the brink of the seventh seven, the Sabbath of rest, as they entered the promised land. This is modeled on the weekly rest God gave to his people. After working six days, he gave them a day of rest on the seventh day. Similarly, after six periods of struggle and of hardship during their desert sojourn, God was about to provide his people with rest when he gave them Canaan as their inheritance. Our text leads us from the Lord's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt through 40 years of desert wandering to the border of the promised land. Numbers 33:48 describes Israel's final campsite as being on the plains of Moab by, by the Jordan at Jericho. In the last verse of our text, the Lord commands Moses to speak to the people of what lay ahead. Moses speaks to them about passing over the Jordan into the land of Canaan. He says, And you shall take possession of the land and settle in it, 
For I've given the land to you to possess it. God had promised his people a land flowing with milk and honey. God had promised to give them rest. In our text, he assures them that they will be able to take possession of the land and to settle in it. Yet for Israel to experience the Lord's promised rest, they will need to drive out the inhabitants of the land. Our text contains not only a command for them to do so, but also a warning about what will happen if they don't. Just like at the beginning of our text, God brought his judgment on the Egyptian gods, so now he also commands the eradication of false worship from Canaan. Israel is commanded to destroy all the Canaanites' carved images and cast idols and to demolish their high places. They're to drive out the people of the land so that they would not be contaminated by them. The problem is not just that the Canaanite religion was a false religion. It was a false religion of the worst kind. The Canaanites worshipped various gods whom they believed gave them rain and crops and fertility. They gave glory to various forces in nature rather than to the living God of heaven and earth. Their religion involved drunkenness and sexual immorality and the occult. The Lord did not want his people to be drawn into such wicked practices. So the Lord puts a ban of destruction on these sinful people and on all their wicked practices. Centuries earlier, the Lord did not allow Abraham to inherit the land, because at that time the iniquity of these godless people was not yet full. Yet now, some 400 years later, the Lord is going to punish the Canaanite nations for their wickedness. If Israel obeyed the voice of the Lord and purified the land of these people and their false religion, they would truly experience rest. They'd be able to live in peace, to experience the rest that comes from living in the right relationship with God. But if they did not, then the Canaanites who remained would be barbs in their eyes and thorns in their side and would continue to trouble them. There's some important lessons we learned from our text Just like the Israelites, we are on a journey. Like them, we have been delivered from slavery. Their bondage was physical. Their taskmasters were men with whips who beat them if they did not work hard enough. Our slavery was spiritual. When the fall into sin, our nature was corrupted so that we were slaves to sin and in bondage to Satan and his forces of evil. God delivered Israel from slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He brought ten plagues on the Egyptians to persuade Pharaoh to let his people go. When Pharaoh tried to re-enslave them, the Lord drowned him and all his hosts in the Red Sea, while delivering his people through the midst of the sea on dry ground. (coughs) In the same way, beloved, God has worked a wondrous redemption for us. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die for our sins. 
Christ bore the punishment we deserved. He paid the full price for our sins. He has set us free from the mastery of Satan. Like Israel, we have been delivered. Yet the Israelites still had to travel through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. When they got to the borders of Canaan, they had to go up into the land and fight against their enemies before they could experience the rest God promised them. Their journey is important. It showed if they were thankful for their deliverance and whether they trusted in God's faithfulness and care. Even though God promised them the land, they still had to fight for it. They would not experience rest unless they put God at the center of their lives. Like the Israelites, we too are called to fight the good fight of the faith. For us, there is a great temptation to compromise with the world around us. We are easily influenced by the attitudes and by the morality of the world around us. We often want to enjoy the pleasures that this world offers. But beloved, while we live in this world, we are not to be part of the world. In John 15, 19, Jesus said, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Do we experience that, beloved? That the world hates us? Or are we so accommodating to the world and to its practices that people don't even notice that we're Christians? We need to remember that as God's dearly loved people, we are sojourners and exiles on earth. Peter speaks about this in 1 Peter 2. He writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. In Philippians 3, Paul encourages us to press on toward the goal of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. He warns of the temptation to walk as enemies of the cross of Christ by making the pleasures of this life paramount with minds set on earthly things. This world, beloved, is not our promised land. We're on a journey. We're on the way to our eternal inheritance. God has promised us life with him in joy and glory on new heavens and a new earth. How do exiles and sojourners live? They remember this life. What we experience here and now is not it. The best is yet to come. But we need to make sure that we get there. It's easy to get waylaid, to get diverted, 
to get off track. But if we lose our way, we will not arrive at our intended destination. And so, beloved, be encouraged on your journey through life. Recognize God's love and faithfulness in calling you to be his child and in guiding you to this point in your life. When you watch old videos or go through photo albums, reflect on how God blessed you and cared for you throughout your life. He has blessed you with many good gifts. He has kept you through trials and hardships. He has forgiven you many sins. We need to know that for strength as we continue to travel on the pathway of life so that we're encouraged to fight the good fight of the faith as we travel to our promised land. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing Psalm 105, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4.